Hello and welcome to the Tent Weavers. We have a very special episode tonight. We are talking about our new name, our new format. We've had a few great episodes. We're tweaking things a little bit because of the way those conversations have gone. And so I'm joined uh, with no, no guests today. We have our panel of co-hosts and we're going to talk a little bit about our new name. You just saw it. It just popped up, the Tent Weavers. What is that? What does that mean? So we speak about Judaism as an open tent. We speak about Abraham having the tent that was open on all sides where he waited for guests to come in. And it's very much a mentality that's at the heart of how I'm a rabbi personally. I think for, for many of our co-hosts, uh, it's, it's a similar sort of thing. But this isn't quite about welcoming people this isn't quite about welcome and so that's that's where we thought maybe the name needed a bit of a a bit of a tweak because welcome is all about people who are showing up people who are really in the first stages of their journey and our conversation is a little different our conversation has become about people who are on this path who are firmly situated on this path who have been walking on this path for quite a while and what is our place in the wider scheme of things what is our place in the jewish people there are many voices there are many conversations happening in the jewish community about how can we be more inclusive how can be we be more welcoming to different types of jews there are different tribes so to speak we know now that not everyone is ashkenazi and so we need to make room for Sephardic Jews and Mizrahi Jews. In the United States, we have influxes of Persian Jews, Russian Jews, Israeli American Jews. Um, we have Jews of color. We have LGBTQ Jews. We have all of these different Jewish groups, and they all are fully Jewish and fully integrated into our communal life. And at the same time, they have unique needs. They have unique challenges. We have a responsibility to speak their language, so to speak. The same is true for us. The same is true for people who have converted to Judaism. We have unique histories. We come in in a way that most Jews don't. And then we continue to live Jewish lives that are a little different, have different challenges, have different needs. It doesn't make us less Jewish. It doesn't make us set aside or set apart. Like I say, we're part of the constellation of Jewish identities. And there are people who have more than one of these identities. Often they're overlapping. And so with tent weavers, we are trying to speak to that group, for that group. We're trying to speak about these issues. We are trying to imagine what it is to build, to weave that open tent. You know, one thing I was reminded of is the conversation that we see, we see it in the Gemara, we see it throughout the tradition um, about uh, the concept of an, uh, whether there is, and I, we're initially told there's not, uh, and that's Gerim, you know, that, that there is an Eda, a community specifically of Gerim. Um, and it's, uh, you know, a reality for us today that whether, whether there is one from, you know, a standpoint in the text traditionally or not, um, I believe uh, there is one today that, 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 that the community of Gerim, the community of converts um, has sort of shared needs and shared concerns. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, when we talk about Jewish laws, shared uh, peculiarities that, you know, that, that affect us um, sometimes somewhat differently than, than other groups. And yet still by, I think, understanding 
issues that affect converts, we're, uh, we, we gain, I think, a greater appreciation for the totality of what Judaism is um, and how it, it intersects with, uh, with different groups' uh, identities and different individuals' identities uh, in a number of important ways. There is a, there's a pattern that has emerged, at least in the, in the last 40 years in Jewish life, of people accessing rabbinic voices and rabbinic positions. First, it was women, then it was LGBTQ Jews. And by having people very professionally and rabbinically own their identity, what that has done for the Eda, for the collective, is, is give it a voice, is give it a voice in the Jewish people. And, and it sounds uh, uh, silly to think like we, Jewish women didn't have a voice uh, uh, 60, 70 years ago, uh, but, but it's, it's true. Like once this struggle for rabbinic leadership uh, for women became solidified, that also led to saying women have different needs. Women read these texts differently. Women are a rich subset of, of Jewish life that wasn't being served properly. And now that we have leaders that can bring that angle, bring those needs, bring those, uh, uh, those experiences to bear, not only do we have a richer Torah and a richer Judaism that's better for everyone, but also that group gets to coalesce and have a voice. And in, in our lifetime, and I think all of us were um, in rabbinical school as certainly within the conservative and the reform movement, LGBTQ Jews were being allowed into uh, rabbinic seminaries and were being ordained as rabbis. What that did for the self-perception of gay Jews as we are different, we are Jews, but we are seeing Torah in a different way. And then you had Svara and like all of these other uh, like kind of like niche efforts to to give a, a voice to, to a particular segment of the Jewish people. And that hasn't happened for converts. Although one could arguably say that this trend of convert rabbinic leadership um, kind of began, historically began a long time ago. There's always been convert rabbis, but, but certainly in the American landscape, sometime between the ordination of women and the ordination of gays, massive numbers of, of, of converts started, uh, or I would say massive, representative numbers of converts started uh, uh, applying to rabbinical school, getting ordained as rabbis. And what does that mean for the Jewish people? What does that mean? And what does it mean for us? Like, what it means for the Jewish people, we, we can talk no end about how this is a positive thing, right? That, that we have more people, that we're having a more diverse demographic entering Judaism, sharing their experiences, sharing their knowledge, but also what does it do to converts to have people who can advocate? Like there's, there's a lot of talk about converts in the Jewish world, in Israel, in, in America, uh, demographics, motivation. But if you look at those, at those conversations, sometimes converts are not invited. And now we know, for example, that you can't talk about Jewish women without inviting women that, that that sets you up rightly so for ridicule and like you do not talk about gender or, or sexual diversity in the Jewish people without inviting representatives of these uh, of, of these groups to speak and, and, and share the experience but 
but somehow converts have gotten have gotten folded in the mix. And I don't know if uh, is it because of of this myth that we count out ourselves as converts. But but uh, yeah, that's a really important issue, and it's not always at the forefront of people's minds for really understandable reasons, but it does sometimes come up. And I think the ability to build trust um, with, you know, people who are born Jewish, whether they're colleagues or friends or peers or congregants or whatever the relationship is with them, to just gently say, you know, like, this is something that affects a particular group of people that I'm part of and here we are let's broaden the conversation, let's broaden the tent. Um, I had this happen to me professionally, and this is actually a story with a really happy ending, um, because I reached out to this person who was a colleague of mine about that exact issue, and I was quite nervous about it because no one likes receiving tochacha, no one likes receiving rebuke. Um, I don't like it either, no one does. That's just normal human nature. Um, and this colleague, who I'm not going to identify, obviously, was the picture of grace, you know? He was so kind and so receptive and hearing me completely. And it actually led to an amazing series of conversations on conversion and the future of conversion to Judaism. And it was just a really good example of how, for some people, it's just really uh, a blind spot and it's, you know or it just hasn't come up before, or it isn't really part of their lived reality. And all they need is a little bit of a nudge to do that. Um, so it doesn't always have to be strident in that way. It was just like, hey, you know, I, I happen to be a convert. I'm noticing that this isn't a topic that should address, you know, converts as a group. Uh, would you like someone to be a speaker on that as well? And uh, it worked out great. So that was a really hopeful story. And I'm I really look forward to collaborating with this colleague on further projects. I think there's a sense in which uh, the broader community, broader Jewish community, and we ourselves um, have this sense that, that number one, that being a convert is is unusual, is exceptional. Um, you know, I guarantee if you you pull, uh, you know, find five of your closest Orthodox friends and ask them if they have any converts in their family. I mean, if they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you honestly. Yeah, does it somewhere? There's somebody who's converted. Um, you know, there's no. I don't think there's a single family out there that that doesn't have someone there who, uh, you know, who ultimately came to Judaism um, later in their life than than and just, you know, um, you know, being born into it and and that. I mean, going beyond, of course, you know, issues where there's someone who's got a Jewish parent, but they convert because they're, you know, they have, they're patrilineally Jewish and not matrilineally Jewish. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that some of it is just sense, sense feeling that it's weird, that it's unusual. Um, and some of it is probably as you named, like the sense of like, we can't talk about it. We're not supposed to talk about it. Um, but I, I think there's also just that sense and it, part of it because of really both of those things, um, the sense that our Judaism is somehow attenuated by our being com converts, that it's less than true, it's less than pure, it's less than the right way, less than ideal. Um, and, you know, I find that in a healthy community, you need both. You need people who look at 
at what you're doing in that community and you say, oh, that looks good. I wasn't brought up in this. I didn't come to this initially, but now I'm looking at it and I, and I want to be a part of this and I want to build this together with you. And you also need people who can be raised in it from within and say, this is worthwhile. I'm not, I'm not abandoning this. I'm not walking away. And if I feel like if as a healthy community, if you're not doing both of those, if you're not doing enough to attract people from the outside that they would want to be a part of what you're doing, but also not doing enough to raise up people who are already inside the community to stick with it, you're you're missing something. You're dropping the ball somewhere. It all gets attenuated by this terrifying fear that people have of proselytizing, whatever that means. They know we're not supposed to do it. They know Jews don't proselytize. Um, and okay, so like, fine. That we'll we'll just we'll just set that aside for now, and we'll say that that's fine. Um, I don't know whether it is honestly, but we're gonna say for the sake of argument, we're not supposed to proselytize. Um, when I was in uh, Wichita, Kansas, there was a community of 75, 80 families and I was doing six conversions a year. And then when I got to Chicago um, and I started looking around for work and I ended up founding a community conversion program for the Northern suburbs. And I was talking to my colleagues uh, on the North shore and they were at synagogues 10 times that size. And they were doing one conversion every two years. And it just blew me away, and I just I I couldn't figure I couldn't figure it out. These uh, these these were these were lovely communities. I spent time there. I enjoyed being there. Um, it's not like the demographics of you know people in Chicago aren't that different from people in Wichita, but there was just something going on that was keeping that was keeping the door shut. And I, mm -hmm. I think you're right that. Um, you know, even if we're not supposed to be knocking on doors and that sort of thing, we're I think it's useful to, to think that we ought to have an open door. We ought to think that the door is open for whoever wants to show up. And if no one's showing up, then, then you kind of have to wonder what's, what's going on there. But just to, put a little, just to put a little meat on the bones of what you're talking about, Noah, the most recent Pew survey on this subject, um, one in six people who identify as Jewish in the United States were not born into it. Um, now, what that means, uh, you can you can try to break that down a little more. I think it probably means we need more study. I think it should be an issue that's uh, that's worth surveying with uh, with a little finer grain. We should um, probably study the study. That would probably, be... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do more polls. More statistics solves solves everything. <clears throat> well, <laughs> the problem with statistics is um, you get really good answers for the questions that you thought of ahead of time. I mean, that's the problem with something like the Pew survey. Um, and so I would have loved to see them drill down a little more about, you know, what is the self-identity and what is, you know, from my perspective, the more like, uh, you know, if I asked your rabbi, what would they tell me your journey has been? Uh, which often isn't the same. I mean, people will say like, oh, I was born Jewish, but the rabbi didn't believe me. So I had to convert. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm, maybe not often that happens, but I do I do hear that from time to time. Um, or someone says like, oh, I'm Jewish, but I never bothered converting. I just decided I'm Jewish. There's, there are a lot of those people. Um, and so to sort of drill down on you know, what this number means is a little, it can get a little tricky, but um, yeah, you know, anecdotally one in six, that would mean about 900,000 Americans are, conver are converts to Judaism. And yeah, that number probably adds up. That number probably checks out. You know, if you look around the synagogue world, if you look around, you know, what what rabbis are doing. Um, yeah, that means we're we're nearing a million. Right, and it's and it's a growing number, and it's a growing number that is it's if you see like rabbinical schools, and this is 
I think, a more doable study. If any demographers out there, PhD students, want to help us out, <clears throat> we were always looking for, for, for help of, of just going to like YU or JTS or HUC or the big seven or the small seminaries. Like what percentage of your students are converts? And I, I'm pretty sure that the numbers are going to be really surprising that mm -hmm. this is this uh, these first decades of the 21st century, something shifted, something shifted in, in like demographically. And, and right now, I think like the narrative uh, of converts and convert rabbis in general is that when you convert, you align, right? Like the Jewish people have this direction, this vector, mm -hmm. and, and you're coming from a different vector. And then what you do is you merge harmonically into the flow and, and you start going in the same direction of the Jewish people. Um, but I, I, I think this, this model is, I think it's also short uh, uh, it, it, because, because then we're all doing the same. And we know that that is not what happened. And, and, and like, if, if you know history, you know, for example, the Jews got to Morocco. Right. And guess what? Three generations later, their music sounds Moroccan and their food sounds Moroccan and their and their and their dress looks Moroccan. And it was because there was this this process of realigning and readapting. And it was not just, oh, we kept our pure traditions that we were bringing mm. from Spain or from or from Babylonia or from the land of Israel intact. Right. No, like being in a different place causes you to realign and and i think a lot of the of the vectors of realigning of jewish people and it's happening in america one in six is that converts are not coming to merge but converts are coming orthogonally and i in, in this way i think the 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 name that we've chosen is very beautiful because mm. you can't weave just by lining up strings strings right. that face the same direction do not make a tent they do not make a handkerchief they don't make cloth for cloth, you need the the shativa erev. Do you need the the how is it in the, the loom and the the warp and the the warp, warp and the weave? That's, the warp yeah. and the weave. Or warp, I mean, sure. warp and woof. Warp and warp woof. And woof. And there we go. go. I, I know there was a woof. It sounded like a dog. Like, uh, but, 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 but when you weave, you do need that orthogonal resistance. It's the right, people who are right, coming right. from like ninety degree angle and intersecting with you, but but they're also bringing the richness. Right. And, and if, if like, however it is either portrayed positively or lamented, and usually both like, oh, Amer like Jews are becoming American and that's great, but maybe too American. And, right. and, and, and sometimes the, the, missing, the missing spot is, is it's the voices of Americans who are choosing to become Jewish and or, or whatever in whatever context we're doing in Colombia or Europeans and they're bringing their own experiences and that is what gives the cloth that's what gives the tent its integrity mm. because otherwise it's not rooted right like the the third fourth generation children of Ashkenazi immigrants are not eating the same foods they're not speaking the same language they're not praying exactly in the same way and a lot of the for good or for bad, the, the, the influences come from like American culture. And here you have people who are in many ways like the negative version, like they're coming robust Americans who are now aligning themselves with Jewish values. So there's a lot that we can learn. There's a lot that converts can teach 
J American Jews, born Jews, about how you balance this. I, I, it's, it's symbiotic. I think that is so important. And I also think that convert leaders can have such an amazing role modeling that to people in the community pursuing conversion, because I think it's something that a lot of people feel angst about, and it especially comes up around the December dilemma, mm. right? Um, I had a conversation with a student of mine who has a certain background, again, no and no identifiers, but a certain uh, background and was wondering about their Christmas recipes for Christmas cookies and things like that. And I just said, you know what, take them with you, make them Hanukkah cookies or Purim cookies. It's all cool, you know, just own who you are and take that with you. And, you know, it took me a while to get to that place, but I have a very strong and distinct family history and family narrative of which I'm quite proud. Um, and I very openly have woven that into my Judaism and have in turn woven myself into Jewish people bringing that unique story so it's definitely very important and it's something i think that those of us who have a little more visibility in the community let's put it that way can really lead on and we often forget that that's how a lot of jewish culture originated in the first place right that people brought their external traditions and made them very jewish and the glue that held these traditions together has been the Jewish worldview, Jewish ritual, Jewish meaning, the covenant with God, textual study, you know, Pesach is around the corner. This is a prime example of the reinvention of a really important ritual where a non-Jewish custom was made central to it and integrated into it. And now we think no different of it. And of course, talking about the Pesach Seder, which had its roots in the Greco-Roman uh, symposium. I, I, so I, I want to say so many things right now. Um, you know, as you talk about that, I, like, I think one of the things that I, I that, you know, one place where I'm concerned is, I mean, number one, like, you know, assimilation is not a dirty word, right? Like we, we need to understand that cultural assimilation is a process that happens. There's no judgment that needs to attach to it. It, it is simply something that happens and it happens. Are you saying you don't mind Anglo-Saxons and Normans becoming English? <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Um, it, it's also like, you know, I look, but look, I mean, look at Israel, like, it, you know, is in Israel today is a significant amount of cultural assimilation that's happened among, uh, among Israeli Jews in a particular direction. There are, there are ways in which, uh, uh, you know, Sabra is born today, right? We just we just call them Israelis now, right. um, you know, we're very different from 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 a Sabra born in 19 in 1950. I mean, in terms of what they how they grow up and what they experience. And that's a product to some extent of cultural assimilation. Some of the assimilation, they there's there's some Americanness of things that they've picked up in, in contemporary Israeli culture. But some of it as well are things that come from from other from other, you know, from from Lebanon, from uh, you know, from from surrounding other surrounding cultures, and 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 also from uh, the thing that Olim, you know, people who have made Aliyah that they bring in. Um, so it it happens. It's not it's not it's not a and it's bad. It's good. I think one of the things that we run into that is problematic is this sort of anxiety about converts. You know, uh, that people have. Um, Rav Chalvo uh, and others uh, that that we see sometimes in in Jewish communities in the United States, for example, the sense of you know people who are born Jewish sort of asking themselves, well, you know how 
you know, how do I interact? You know, I have this thing, this birthright, that's all I have. And in some ways it's an unclaimed birthright. In some ways it's unarticulated because I don't know enough or I don't practice enough or I don't, you know, whatever enough um, to really feel like I own my Jewishness. And here's this person coming into this who doesn't have this background, who doesn't have any of this stuff coming at them. What's wrong with me? Um, they feel so passionate. They feel so jazzed. They feel like they know where they're going. What does that say about me? And I, I think that is not always happening, but for a lot of people, when there's sort of a, a reaction against converts or discomfort with converts, that's part of what motivates it is the sense of seeing other people who don't share the background, who don't share the history um, and not understanding why they're there and, and, and you're kind of, you know, not as comfortable with it. Um, so, you know, I think that that it's, it, I'm just saying, I think it can be a dangerous it, or problematic narrative for us. If we say you can only benefit from the, from whatever energy of whatever direction that the converts are bringing, I think you still need to direct that to a certain extent. And you need to make sure that you're, you're on the same page, you're building the same weave, uh, together, but, but you can benefit from the energy that they bring. And sometimes absolutely you benefit from that insider outsider perspective that comes in. Uh, because there's a lot of times where we put the blinders on and we say, look, this is the way we do it. And it takes somebody else coming in and saying, why? Before you go, oh, there's another way to do this. It is important to remember at the end of the day, we are talking about people who are converting. And, and this is terminology that I know is, is problematic for some people. They prefer do by choice or whatever. I, I don't. I think, I think convert is a good word because it's about a transformation. And so it's, it is about someone who's coming in to a situation where they say either implicitly or explicitly, like, I'm here to change. I'm here to grow. I'm here to not be who I used to be. And so it's not just about people are showing up and they're changing things and they're setting aside, you know, my way of doing things and replacing it with theirs. Um, I think there is something um, there, 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 there is something organic and beautiful that has to happen. It's, it's a Hegelian synthesis. It, well, perhaps it's perhaps it's Hegelian. Um, there, there, the, just a, a, for instance, I know someone who, um, when I when I spoke to her about why she wanted to be Jewish, she said that she was really struck by Judaism's claim that everyone is made in the image of God and that everyone matters, and that she didn't have that growing up. This is in the United States. This is in the land where all men are created equal, but. I, somehow that didn't happen. Somehow that, you know, American ethos that we think lines up so well with the Jewish ethos, it just wasn't, just wasn't there. Um, and, and Judaism was the place where, where that, uh, that concept that every human being matters was, um, it was, it was where she could access it. And like, there's a part of me that says, well, okay, so like, you know, welcome and um you know we um you know to 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 sort of come back to juan's metaphor um you know we want those those sort of perpendicular is that the word perpendicular threads orthogonal he was orthogonal. saying orthogonal orthogonal. But... orthogonal there we go we want we want the orthogonal threads um and and at the same time you say like okay so what inside this person is changing what stays the same, what's always going to be different from someone born Jewish. And this is where it gets kind of kind of tricky because up till now, in a lot of our, you know, sort of communal conversation, the conversation has been about how converts, they're just like us. They're, they're the same and they have the right to be the same. 
they, you know, they have the right to come in and adopt Jewish language, Jewish behaviors, Jewish beliefs, and be completely like every other Jew. Um, and by the way, a lot of that uh, is, is sort of premised on an assumption that there is one basic way to be Jewish, which is to be Ashkenazi, to be, um, you know, to have your born, your Jewish. born Jewish, to have your grandparents come here between 1881 and 1923. Also, um, in parentheses, male, straight, sure, I mean, certain sure. other exceptions, expectations, bearded, right? Right, right. And, and so this sort of lines up, I, I think all of those, all of those privileges and all of those identities do sort of, sort of line up. And, and you, you say, okay, well, you have the right to come in and change everything about who you are and to be just like us. And that's nice. And there are some people who strive very hard to do that. Um, and I think it's, it's an important, I hope we can make an important contribution of the conversation that we also have the right to be different, that we have the right to continue to be ourselves, to continue to have our own history, to be on our own journeys, to have our own unique needs. Um, this is just, you know, like I can, I can keep 613 mitzvahs, but it never changes the fact that my mom and dad aren't Jewish. And I will always relate to them with a different Jewish lens than someone whose mom and dad are Jewish. Mm. And it doesn't matter how much I try to change or blend or set aside my past. I'm not setting aside my family. And so that's always going to be a need that I have the other Jews don't. And there are a million things like that whether it comes to family or friends or holidays or, you know, you, the list goes on and on. And, and, and those things never go away. We wouldn't want them to go away. We wouldn't want to live in a world where becoming Jewish means setting aside absolutely everything about who you used to be. I do know some people who have done that, uh, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's healthy um, Jewishly or humanly. And so, yeah, I think like to maybe we're stretching the metaphor a little too far but we got to figure out like, you know, how, how do we say that all of those threads, whichever direction they're going in the orthogonal design, um, they're all Jewish and they're all contributing. And it doesn't like, it's not so much about every threads lined up and going in the same direction. They're all contributing to a, to a Jewish thing that's bigger than, than any one thread. I, I, I apologize. It was orthogonal with an O in the middle. I feel I'm so embarrassed now. Uh, we're going to be okay. We're, you know, we're fine. We're word like, of the day. <laughs> trust us in math, trust us in rabbinics, not in mathematics. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think what you touched there on a very, on, on, on a fascinating thing, which is can be arguably the, 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 the greatest contribution that like the convert community getting its voice and getting its narrative out there as, as, as a different narrative, as there's one of the narratives, like this is what we can bring to the Jewish people. It's not just numbers, right? Because when, once you're talking about conversion, like numbers, homogeneity, that is the main, but, but, but you've touched on something that I've never really, which is that for converts, Judaism is a transformational experience, a personal transformational experience, which is an experience that we associate with other religions. You're born again, you see the light, like Judaism doesn't use that language, but, but for, 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 for many converts, that is the experience. And, and it is something that we are going to need down the road. Like right now, we've always seen Judaism as um, in preservation mode. 
Like the movement I was ordained by and I, I belong and I'm active with, it's called the conservative movement because we're trying to conserve. It, 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 it was not a political it's a, uh, it's a, a saving remnant. It, right, right. It's saving right. the remnant. Right. It's 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 like this this we're we're preserving we're preserving the past. But we know that now we're in the fifth, sixth generation of American Jews that are coming from that story, right? 1981, the pickle barrel in the Lower East Side to the suburbs to the that. <laughs> like that 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 the power of preserving that is not enough to keep people in the in the weave and that and and we're talking for the millennials and the generation z or i think now they're going to call them this the c generation not the z c for covid is that, is that for COVID? that's it's what i'm hearing yeah, the yeah, yeah. like yeah. my kids are generation z now be like mm. all of our kids who've spent like pandemic like isolation our generation z like they're gonna need stories of personal transformation right, right. Of, right. like yeah. i was yeah in this point of my life. And I use these Jewish tools to make myself better. And I think that that trope that has been completely absent, like even in Judaism, like right now, when like the, the, the figure of the Baal Tshuva is like, I am, I, I was a mess and I now I'm in the safe haven of tradition. I'm living like my grandparents live. Yeah, that's really important, you know, especially at an institutional level, depending, of course, where you're being Jewish and how, how large or how vibrant or how representative that Jewish community is. You know, when I took my pulpit in, in Iowa and I consciously chose to be there, I consciously chose to be in an environment that um, didn't have a lot of Jews, so to say. Uh, because for me, it was a really positive choice, both in terms of what the community itself offered me and in terms of interfacing with non-Jewish world there. And it hasn't disappointed. It's been exactly what I had hoped it would be. And it's been great. Um, and one of the things I've really introduced to my community is this idea, we are not the periphery, we are the cutting edge. Mm. And it's been a useful frame to shift their perception of themselves and give them, hopefully, at least as a theory, You'll have to ask them, but hopefully a little bit of a sense of pride about how we are here and we are presenting, you know, not the Judaism with the most options, not the most well-stocked Judaism, um, but a very viable and unique and vibrant Judaism under not the easiest of circumstances to be Jewish. And it's great and it's totally possible. And I think that narrative of choice and then switching the frame out has been really helpful. And I had a conversation with the USCJ board uh, the other day, the board of the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism, who came to some synagogues on, in Iowa on Zoom, of course. Um, and um, they attended services at, at a colleague synagogue, and they attended services at my synagogue. And um, I gave it to our Torah for the board meeting. And I told them exactly that. They asked us about what the kind of unique challenges and blessings are of being out here. And I gave them exactly that frame, right? And I told them like, we are tributaries feeding into the river and it's a really important role that we fulfill. And so the center um, has, you know, something to learn from that, that we are encountering issues and challenges and opportunities and blessings um, in, a, in an avant-garde way, because 
we are smaller and in the Midwest and in a more isolated place than communities in the large metropolitan areas. And so like, you know, in a way that applies for converts on an individual narrative as well, right? That they are the bearers of really important questions that need addressing in the Jewish community on how to navigate interfaith families. I just remember our conversation with uh, with Bailey, with Rabbi Bailey on that as well. Um, and so it's like embracing this regenerative narrative is really important. Now, I'll, I'll give you one more anecdote. And again, you know, this was a, an encounter that I don't want to make public, but um, I was talking to a woman at a Jewish conference and um, she was asking me about life in Iowa and making a set of assumptions about the viability or lack thereof of Judaism there. Um, and then when I pushed back a little bit, you know, um, her anxiety about what would happen to the Jewish people came out. And what started with quite critical remarks about like, you know, interfaith families actually ended me shifting the narrative and saying like, I know you're concerned about intermarriage and maybe even your children intermarrying but you do realize that there are also people coming in mm. people like me are coming in and like I did something that was slightly paternalistic you know but I put my hand on her shoulder and I said we are here now it's gonna be okay the Jewish people are gonna be okay you know and I I saw something shift in her and she had never seen it from that point of view. Mm. And what could have been a really contentious conversation um, turned into a really fruitful conversation because I had the confidence within myself because I had internalized a strong identity in terms of who I am as a Jew and as a convert and as a rabbi, you know, that I was able to do that and switch it out and say, it's okay we are here. And she said, I've never thought about it like that. And it's just made for a really different conversation. Lots of things are pinging right now. I mean, I'm thinking about right? like, like renewal, right? Like I'm renewing in some way um, as like quintessential to the uh, gear, the, the convert experience. And I think that's, that's true. And I do think it affects how we see others and what we as rabbis, how we offer what we're offering to others. I mean, I think, I could be wrong. Uh, I don't. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths here. But um, I think all of us, to some extent, in the way we rabbi, the way we do our jobs, um, see opportunities for bringing people experiences of transformation and encouraging people to engage with Judaism in a way that is self-transformative. Um, you're talking about this um, this this experience, sort of the the parents, the previous generations. Oh, oh, it was right there on my on the tip of my tongue. Well, I, I think that one of the things that, that we get out of, you know, one of the things that's new, um, oh yeah, there it is, is I don't want to see us, um, you know, I, I don't want to see us focusing entirely on just the personal. Um, I think that's a mistake that I see happening in some communities where religion sort of becomes a all about self-help and doesn't, doesn't really look outward as well into the community or into the broader uh, structure. And I, I actually think it's kind of ironic, but like, I think being, you know, giving up some of the self and connecting with the community and sacrificing some of your own wants for the sake of the community 
is something that can also help the self, right? It, like the, that piece of it is necessary. And I don't think I'm saying anything revolutionary, uh, like re revolutionary here. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's important for us to kind of balance those pieces though and not say the only thing that's important is self-transformation and focus on the self. I think there's also some broader stuff around things like people, around things like, you know, like how do you relate to the tribe? How are you, you know, serving some of the needs of the tribe? And it doesn't mean that you Every, all, every single one of your concerns or who you are takes a backseat to that, um, which is, I think, sometimes the narrative that converts do here, right, is you have to give up all of your wants and all your needs and all of your tendencies um, and embrace this entirely different identity. Like, like Mike said, that's kind of uh, something of a negative, uh, a negative approach that people take. Um, but I'm reminded of you know, the work of Rachel Adler, of a number of other scholars of uh, feminism, um, who have kind of presented a way in which we can understand, you know, what what feminism brings, for example, um, or what a queer studies lens can bring, you know, is an awareness of one's own gender and and embodiedness into what we're doing, and an awareness of one's sexuality into what we're doing, and so too, I think, as converts, we can bring an awareness of that transformation piece that 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 lens and say here's another lens for looking at it and just like you wouldn't take a feminist lens or a marxist lens or a queer studies lens and say this is the only way to read this text you can you can you know you can read a text through all of them simultaneously and compare and contrast different views i think we're able to do the same thing and say what does it look like from a born Jewish perspective as a particular identity? What does it look like from a convert perspective in terms of a particular identity and so on and so forth? Uh, I think that's huge. I think that's, and so you guys brought me that insight. Thank you. And by giving voice to the, to the convert's experience, it's it, it like, uh, how does it feel to come and like navigate that, that like negotiation with the tradition of I'm coming with this whole different set of baggage, which is now every Jew. Like, you know, oh, every Jew is a Jew by choice. In America, in, in like, a lot of people are coming with very different identities. And, 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 and by giving voice to convert stories, honoring their difference and saying, I was coming from the outside and this is how getting weaved into the, I, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving the name, Mike. I'm, uh, I think it's, it's very, <laughs> Thank like getting, you. getting, getting weaved, <laughs> like, this is how it felt for me. And that is actionable knowledge for every Jew, mm -hmm. right? It's, 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 we are, we are going through, through steps in adulthood that a lot of people are having to negotiate kind of unconsciously as children or as teenagers with their bar mitzvah and Hebrew school and trauma. So by, 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 by giving a voice to people who came later in life to like, this is how I, learn to love the tradition and mm -hmm. keep true to myself. Uh, and, and this is how we do this waltz. And this is information that any Jew can use or that any person can use to navigate. Uh, so, so it is an important Torah that we are bringing uh, as a community. We're going to have to wrap it up here. I'm Rabbi Michael Gilboa. I want to thank my co-host, Rabbi Juan Mejia, Rabbi Noah Farrell, Rabbi Esther Hugenholtz. We're going to try to get these up about once a week. They're going to be a little shorter. Um, and so I hope you like and subscribe and check us out on wherever you get your podcasts or watch your videos. 
We want to thank Joe Buchanan for the use of his song for our theme music, and we want to encourage you to go check out his new album. The link is in the description. Thank you, Joe, and we hope to have you on the show pretty soon. And I just want to say thank you to everyone for watching. This has been The Tent Weavers. Shalom Aleichem